But I remember uh, Jack Burns, he said, you know, I got one quarterback that's uh, hurt and can't play in Rich Gannon. I got another one dinged up, doesn't know where he's at. I got another one, Brad, that's hyperventilating on the sidelines, hoping he doesn't go in the game. So, so I learned <laughs> to be ready real quick. This podcast is presented by Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow, overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa's proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their businesses and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow. Welcome back to Beyond the X's and O's. And today we sit down with one of my favorite guys in the NFL in all my time, Brad Johnson. I uh, won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. Uh, but of course, we start in his high school years. He actually went to a big hoop school in North Carolina. Uh, Roy Williams was one of the basketball coaches there. Brad Doherty played basketball there. So there was that legacy of basketball. Uh, and he uh, he was actually a great basketball player. He was recruited by the likes of North Carolina and Georgia Tech and had to make this tough decision between Georgia Tech basketball or Florida State football. And obviously goes to Florida State, uh, talks about the quarterback room there, which is incredible. Um, Heisman Trophy winner, Heisman Trophy runner up, professional baseball players, other NFL quarterbacks on the competition. They only end up playing seven games, starting seven games. Florida State as a quarterback. He plays basketball his first two years, and Bobby Bowden makes him decide, say, hey, you're falling back in the quarterback world here. you got to make a choice, and obviously he chooses football, and uh, that turned out well for him. He talks about the impact Bobby Bowden had on him and, and so many other players. One of the great stories of all of our shows so far is when Brad talks about the Florida State quarterback classic that Coach Mark Rick started back in the 90s. Actually, I think it was the late 80s at Florida State with the quarterbacks there grew into Florida state versus Georgia. You will, you'll laugh so hard. You'll cry. Uh, we obviously talk about Brad's NFL experience, um, his time in the world league. And we don't talk enough about the world league. The world league was this great semi-professional football league that developed so many quarterbacks, uh, in the mid nineties. And Brad was one of them. Talk about Super Bowl footballs again. And I'm going to keep talking about Super Bowl footballs with every quarterback we bring on that's played in the Super Bowl. Uh, and his story about being, have, breaking in 108 footballs for the Super Bowl. And then later on, 10 years later, uh, being accused of being a cheater. Uh, this one will make you laugh. Uh, and then we end just talking about his incredible wife, Nikki, who really is the athlete in the family more than Brad. Uh, his two superstar kids. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this time. Uh, with Brad Johnson. Stay tuned. Well, fired up today to have not just a great guest, but one of my dear friends, a guy who has made me laugh over the years. I've admired him as a football player, uh, competitor, a dad, uh, leader in his community, but he is one of the funniest dudes you will ever meet, Brad Johnson. Brad, thanks so much for being on. Appreciate you having me on, Trent. Thank you, man. We've battled many times over the years, so it's been fun. Yes, we have. Well, I think one of the funnest things we've done on the show and our, a bulk of our audience is our quarterbacks, quarterback dads, athletes, kind of the youth space, grassroots space. We talk about the high school years uh, and you growing up uh, on high school, uh, being a dual sport athlete. Uh, talk to me about what high school f sports was like at your high school, what Friday nights were like if you played on Friday nights, uh, the whole vibe around high school sports as you were growing up. Yeah. Uh 
first of all, my dad ran summer camps called Camp Ridgecrest and Camp Crestridge for boys and girls. So um, overnight camps and those kind of things. So I grew up with a ball in my hand at all times and someone to play with at all times. So I uh, love sports, ended up playing football and basketball at, at Owen High School. Uh, a famous basketball coach that used to be there was a guy named Roy Williams, who uh, was at University of North Carolina. So he was just, he was making $3,500 as a PE teacher. And uh, the guy that I looked up to, a basketball player, was a guy named Brad Doherty. He was an All-American, played in North Carolina and played a bunch of years in the NBA. So uh, the standard was set high. And my, my favorite sport, Trent, was basketball. Played every day of my life from second grade all the way through um, freshman year of college. Played two years of basketball in college. But basketball was my love. Basketball was my passion. And uh, I ended up starting as a senior, I mean, as a freshman, both football and basketball. And I remember just a quick little story. So <laughs> my first game as a freshman, I thought I played pretty good. I went seven for 10, had one throw away, had two interceptions. One was at the end of the half on a Hail Mary. The other one was at the end of the game on a Hail Mary. So I read the paper the next day, and they said, Brad Johnson, the freshman, was erratic during the game, and basically that's why we lost the game. I'm like, yeah, I played great. That's right, erratic. I got the word erratic and ecstatic wrong in my vocabulary. <laughs> so <laughs> I learned not to read too many papers, you know. But, um, but we had, we had uh, really good teams in basketball and football. My first three years kind of stunk in football. We were four and six, five and five. My senior year, I was actually going to quit football and just fo focus on basketball. And I uh, had a coach named Kenny Ford that taught me into coming out and playing. He said, it's going to be the most fun year of your life. And uh, we're going to win and have fun. And so I'm thankful for my coaches, Kenny Ford, that taught me into coming back and playing football, which I had a career in. And my basketball coach, Bill Burrs, it was just guys that love sports, guys that made an impact on kids. And to this day, I still call them coach. And that's a pretty unique thing to say 30 years later. Yeah, it's really neat. So the first three years, quarterback, rough, tough sled, not very good. This That last year, did Kenny Ford bring a different vibe to the to the team? Was it a bigger deal in the school or some of the major changes that got you to come back and enjoy that senior season so much? The work ethic was there, but I think the belief, the belief in us, the belief in team, the belief in let's have fun and let's win and let's get respect. And so, I mean, winning kind of cures a lot of, <laughs> it cures a lot sometimes, but the work ethic, the passion, the belief in each other's and, and, and encourage someone besides yourself is a big deal. And that's what we did. And, you know, to this day, we still, you know, they're my teammates and get together <laughs> in the summertime, those kind of things. But I think that's what both Bill Burr's my basketball coach and Kenny Ford, they brought to the table in basketball. I can still re remember all the plays that we ran. Um, I remember the games that we played. I don't remember if we wanted, what the score was, but what I remember is the players that I played with and the meaning of teammate. That was, that was a big deal that was kind of within our school and, our, and, the, and those teams. Do you think this generation of young people and, and you have two sons that just one playing his senior year and, and one in college. Do you think this generation of athlete appreciates these times enough? Like us old farts, we look back at it and go, those are the greatest times of our lives. And do you think they're appreciated enough? Or do you think they're always looking to the next thing? Uh, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. Um, social media has changed a lot. And so yeah. you never, you're never as good as that guy that out there in California. You're never as good as that yep. guy that threw for so many yards in Texas. Um, yep. And you're trying to prove your worth that you got some label or some stardom, you know. And mm -hmm. and so when we played, we didn't know who we were, when we were being recruited. We didn't know who were on the, the other quarterbacks were for the other teams. Like, 
We're going to the University of, you're going to Fresno State. Like, did you know the other first, second, third string or who else are they recruiting? So those things have changed. But I think when you do find the coaches that have been around a long time or coaches that are coming back that were kind of taught the right way, that want to impact kids and don't get caught up into winning and losing, but impacting lives and impacting people, impacting communities, then it kind of breeds winning and confidence and togetherness and happiness and, and, and bond and those kind of things. So uh, I think it's tougher on kids these days. I do. And, uh, but it's time to change. And, and uh, as parents, we got to you know, help our kids through the process, through that process too. Yeah. So at Owen High School, it was a, so I'm assuming it's a big hoop school since Dean, Dean Smith was one Roy of the coaches. Williams. Brad Doherty, but Roy. I'm sorry, Roy yeah. Williams. I'm sorry. I said D Smith, Roy Williams. So, was it mainly a hoop, a hoop school? Was that the primary sport that kind of ran the pageantry of the school? At that time, it was. And, uh, you know, and, and guys played multiple sports. We both, we all played football and basketball. And some of those guys played baseball. Now you're kind of getting guys to just play one sport. But, yes, at, at our high school, uh, basketball, was that was what we did. We did it, you know, when the season's over, we're at the youth park. And in summertime, we're going to basketball camps. And, we played year round, those kind of things. So that kind of gets lost a little bit now. Kind of, you know, some guys get kind of central focused, and that, I think that's a big thing with ads. Honestly, with with football, basketball coaches, and really kind of obviously encouraging, but then kind of making the jigsaw puzzles fit, especially in summertime practices where kids can play multiple sports. So I want to dig into that a little bit because that's been one of the themes. We've had multiple Hall of Famers on. We've had journeymen like yourself and my me on uh we've had young guys on and and this idea of dual sport athletes for the most part most of us that played in the nfl for a long time or are playing were dual sport athletes so dive into a little bit about why you think it was so beneficial we'll get into your florida state experience right. and how you recruited but just the lessons learned by playing hoops year-round but also playing football and always having a ball in your hand and different coaches yep. and being you know you might be the star in one and a role player in another so um dive into that a little yep. bit with me. i think competing being a part of team being active um, go home and sit at home all day. There's only so many weights you can lift and so many sprints you can run, but being active, uh, if you're playing basketball, you're dealing with, is it a full court press? Is it a one, two, two, two press? Is it a one, three, one defense? Is it an even front two, one, two? Is it a man? Is it out of bounds play? Is it a pick and roll situation? Is it a, what's the time on the clock? Do we need a timeout? You know, you're just dealing with situations. You're dealing with competing, you're dealing with winning and losing and you're dealing with people. And then, you know, baseball, the same thing. What's the count? What's the, you know, how many guys are on base? And you just, you're always thinking like everyone talks about quick twitch muscles, but how about quick twitch thinking, those kind of things. So I think it's big. And I think, you know, I don't care if you're playing ultimate Frisbee or golf or tennis or you are competing, but, but I think the other part is dealing with adversity. Like <laughs> I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is maybe the only guy that's ever won every game he's ever played, you know, in high school and college <laughs> and those kind of things. So, but get used to it, you know, and, and how you're going to bounce back and, and those kind of things. So I, I definitely, you know, what's, what's changed now is your, you know, guys do get to one sport pretty quick. I tell every kid to play as many sports and definitely till middle school. And then hopefully in high school, maybe you can get to two sports and then, and then at time, if you're that elite kid, maybe you're junior, senior, then, then you're down to one sport, that kind of thing. But I think it, it carries over to everything that you do. Um, thinking, situations, competing, and, um, and just winning and losing and dealing with adversity and all the above. And, and for the love of the game. 
for the love of the game is huge. Yeah, just loving competing, loving being around the guys, loving the ups and downs of games. I'll add another one, spatial awareness for quarterbacks. A lot of quarterbacks watch your show, and I'll just use you as an example. You had you were a great basketball player, and we'll get into that. But you had a great feel for the pocket. Uh, hockey players, basketball players, those are the two sports that you see a, a really uh, incredible carryover to how quarterbacks play in the pocket. They're used to tight quarters. They're used to bodies moving around them. They're used to finding little creases on the court or on the ice. Uh, you see so many of these quarterback-only kids that haven't played basketball or hockey, and they just don't have that spatial awareness. They they see color and they move too much. Uh, they don't feel comfortable with bodies around them. So uh, just another reason if you're if you're a dad out there and you're debating whether to have your kid keep playing quarterback and another sport, have them play all the sports, as Brad's saying, uh, it can only help his development. Um, I want to get into your recruiting a little bit. Um, First of all, as this this use your junior year in high school, how tall were you at that time? You're about what six I five? Six, yeah, six now, yeah six four six five at that time. Had a perm in my head. Had curly hair. So nice. Had the full perm. <laughs> yeah, huh? Just tight. Had a little pick in the back too. <laughs> Perfect. Were you? Had you gotten your muscles yet, or were you real skinny? I was skinny. Kid? I was jumping rope all the time. I was running miles. I was training for basketball, not for football at that time. And I was skinny. Played basketball all the time, and uh, probably. A little awkward, probably talked a little awkward, um, and just kind of going through the high school, high school growing up, you know. And did you get were you heavily recruited as a basketball player, or were you recruited as a football player, or both? Yeah, so I was in between basketball. I keep talking about basketball, but that's that's what I wanted to. I grew up wanting to play for. Um, I, I want to play for two teams. I want to play for either Dean Smith in North Carolina or Bobby Crimmins at Georgia Tech. So in my recruiting process. I got to, I got down to football schools. It was basically North Carolina, Florida State, and um, Alabama in football. And then basketball was either North Carolina, which they said I could come there, but I'd be kind of way down on the bench. So I really was going to go to Georgia Tech. That was the guy I want to play for was Bobby Crimmins. And so Coach Crimmins pulls me into his, his office, and he said, Brad, you got a scholarship here. You can be here. But let me tell you something. I only play five guys. And the guy that I'm bringing in, your position is a guy named – Dennis Scott. So, so <laughs> Dennis Scott, he said, so says so Dennis is going to play and you might can back him up, you know? And, and so Dennis Scott, and then, and so <laughs> Dennis Scott changed my life and he probably doesn't even know who I am. So, but he said, Brad, what do you want to do? What do you, what, what you do? I said, I want to play basketball, but he said, but he says, but what do you have most potential? I said, I got most potential in football. I just hadn't worked at football enough. And he says, Brad, do what's best for you. So it, it became it became where he wasn't selfish for his program getting me there, but it was like what was best for me. And that's where I appreciate Coach Cravens and probably appreciate Dennis Scott kind of being there because <laughs> I watched him on from my couch and eat popcorn many days, shooting the three. He was incredible. What I so now we will fast forward. You end up going to Florida State. Did that conversation with uh, Coach Kremens light a fire underneath you for football? And then how did you end up at Florida yeah, State? I, I, it, was, it, it came down to either I was going to Georgia Tech to play basketball or Florida State to play football. Florida State at that time, they were selling a guy named Vinny Testaverde, which you very know you know very well. He was, a, he was the Heisman winner at University of Miami, national champion and all that kind of stuff. And that was a prototypical six-foot-five, 225-pound quarterback that can stand in the pocket. And that was the selling point. And they said, Brad, we're, going to, we're getting ready to change our program. We're bringing in quarterbacks like you. And so it was just the right fit. I felt great with 
obviously Coach Bowden and uh, and Mark Rick, who's now my brother-in-law. He's a QB coach. I just I felt like it was the right fit. I felt like that was going to make uh, could develop me over time. And, uh, and, and also, to be honest with you, when I went there, also, I, I asked myself the question, if I never played, if I never played, got injured or got benched or whatever, would I, be, would I be happy and content at that school? And do I trust the coaches? That wasn't a time of transfer portal at that time. And, and kind of those things did come true. But that's the reason why I ended up going to Florida State. You know, that's an incredible um, point right there. And it's not talked about enough. We haven't talked about enough here is, you know, I've had three girls go through recruiting. You've had two boys. You have to choose a place that if football or volleyball or whatever is taken away from you, you feel like you still have fit, you still have purpose. Uh, you can still be content, a word you use. So uh, that was huge that came down in your recruiting process and that decision making. Now, Interesting. So you're going to Florida State to play football, but the story changes when you get there because you end up playing hoops, right? Right. The first year I got redshirted. So Casey Weldon, who you know very well, we were a lot of times we'd go play tennis before football practice. We weren't doing anything. We were just running scout team, that kind of thing. But I was like, what am I doing here? Like scout team is not fun. I was a, I, I left Owen High School as an all, parade All-American, and now I'm seventh string running scout team. I didn't get it, you know. <laughs> Put these other six bums, and they all made pros too. But, but you know, so I walked onto the basketball team. I started about half the year, came out early because I left football. So I got to got playing, went to the NCAAs twice, and uh, my two years that I played basketball there. But my problem was. The next year, my second year, I was late going into basketball. Couldn't start to probably December, January till after football was over, and I was out of shape. And then I was also missing spring football, the 20-day practice. I was getting in 10. So Coach Bowden says, you know, he, I'm not going to make you uh, decide, but I'm going to tell you the other quarterbacks kind of got – they're getting more time in than you are. And so that time I said, why did I really come here? I came here because I wanted to eventually be a play at Florida State. I eventually want to be a pro and let this be my passion, let this be, you know, why I came to Florida State to play football. That was my most potential. So all those conversations help. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about your time at Florida State, that quarterback room, those guys ended up playing the NFL. I know all of them very well. And we get back from this break. We'll be right back. This podcast is presented by Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow, overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their businesses and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa a network giving small businesses tools to grow. All right, so Coach Bowden kind of explains to you, listen, you're, you're really good at basketball, but you're falling behind in football. There's other good quarterbacks in that room. Talk about that room yeah. a little bit. I know that room, but I don't think a lot of yeah. other people do. Starting with Danny McManus, great quarterback at Florida State, yep. threw for 52,000 yards in Canadian League. Uh, Chip Ferguson, he won a Sugar Bowl. Pierre Tom Willis, he won. Uh, he played four years in the NFL. Casey Weldon was a runner-up to the Heisman. I uh, played eight years in the mm-hmm. NFL. Charlie Ward, he was there with us. He won a Heisman National Championship, ended up being an 11-year NBA player. Chris Winkie, who won a National Championship, a Heisman, yeah. played in the NFL, and whatever he's done. And then another guy named Kenny Felder, who was, I think, a late first-round or second-round baseball uh, draft picked in the Major League Baseball. So um, we all thought each other stunk. We all thought we were the best ones, the king of the hill. And um, but we all somehow survived it, man. But that's 
<laughs> so, Bob, so you got to talk more about that because I know it. Like I'm giggling because I yeah. played with PT and I played with yeah. Casey. I got to know you while I was at it playing in Tampa and then would hear the stories. And we got to talk about what you guys call it, the quarterback Olympics yeah. or yeah. quarterback classic. Just just a quick yes. story at Florida State. Uh, me and Casey Webb were best, best friends, and Peter Tom Willis and Chip Ferguson, they were best friends, and we'd go play doubles tennis, and then we only took one car. Yep. So the winner the winner uh, got, to sit in the, got to sit in the front seat, the loser sat in the back seat, and then the losers got dropped off at the convenience store, the losers bought the Gatorade, and they walked home from the Gatorade store. And then while they were driving by, you're honking the horn <laughs> and holding up number one sign the whole way, you know. So that's, it was competitive, you know. Not just a football field. Like we took more pride in winning that, but then we did this thing called quarterback classic. And so we, uh, coach Rick, Mark Rick, our, uh, quarterback coach, we ended up making it Georgia and Florida state eventually. And so basically there were 10 events. Yep. Um, um, it was, it was, take as much okay. time as you want. Okay. Just don't go through this fast. Cause the okay. first time you guys told me about the, remember I asked if I could yeah. go, I think it was like 98 or 99. Yeah. I was begging if I could go and you guys know, nope. yeah. That time it was just Florida State. It's only Florida right. State. It sounds like the greatest time yeah, of all it, time. It was. So it started out. We actually went to his um, his mother in law's place, and it, it became it was it was one on one basketball, horse darts, horseshoes, corn toss, some kind of a golf event, and then things have kind of grown over time. So it became ping pong, corn toss, uh, darts, air hockey. All these events, and it's a ten-seven-five-three-one point system for the winner. So you're playing not only to win the first place, but you might be trying to get that third or fourth or fifth or sixth spot just to get that one thing. And so all these points add up, and at the end, at the end of the event, there's going to be a, a champion. You know, now I, I did win it nine times. I did win. That. I know. I was going to cheat up on that. Yeah. I was going to cheat up were, on I mean, that. There was. I mean, there were. You talking one on one? There were some bloody noses out there playing basketball and. You know, but the thing about we always talked about the three things it, it was competitive, integrity, and and then uh, the winner takes, you know, winners win. You know, that's what it was kind of about. So, um, but in the greatness of it, we brought all these four state quarterbacks and then we brought all these Georgia quarterbacks and then we kind of collided all these guys together. But we all had the same stories, all same friendships, and it became a, you know, two day event. And then we did all night events. And, you know, but you find out. And then I, I tell you the funny thing too, like we played at the house up in Athens, Georgia. So this event took place. Well, I messed up my elbow from air hockey. I was, I was slamming the air hockey playing against Aaron Murray. Then I was playing ping pong with coach Rick and he got mad. He kicks a ping pong table. So the next day I called the Dallas Cowboys. I can't come to mini camp. I got, I got, I got some crazy injury. It was really from air hockey. Coach Rick, he's laying right here beside me. It's just like Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa. He broke his toe because he kicked the ping pong table. We got ice bags all over us, like just talking about trying to win this quarterback classic champion. You know what I mean? So it was fun. It was real. And it was, you know, still bragging rights today. Did the belt start there? Because we'll get it yeah. later in the show about yeah. all the belts you have. Is that where the belt started? No, the belt started after my career was over and I was bored. And so I would make these homemade belts. I go to uh, Hobby Lobby and get the weight belt, and I get yep. the gorilla glue, and I get a ping pong paddle, and I get a ping pong, and stick it on there. I buy all the sequins, and so, and so these these belts. We got racquetball, shuffleboard, air hockey, golf, tennis, and so I made all these belts. 
And so, you know, I kind of found out, to be honest, and so when you play, so if, if I played you, it would have, if you beat me, it would say Trent versus Brad, and your name always goes first. And though, if you won it, you'd put that, you'd basically take that champion belt and put it on you like your car, like a hood ornament, and just drive around town. And it was, I mean, but, and so most people are playing for golf, you're like trying to play for five bucks, a hundred bucks, or cheese and crackers, like, no, we're playing for the belt. That's what you wanted. You took more pride in the belt than you did anything else. And um, so it's competitive, man. So, but I, as I got older, <laughs> as I got older, I found out if I want to be successful and keep this belt and my pride up, I'm just going to find people that I can beat. <laughs> just so I, can keep the, so I can keep my belt and feel proud about it, you know? So I'm sweating talking about it. <laughs> so your uh, your legacy has uh, the belt legacy. I'll tell you a story real quick. I don't think I've ever told you this. You told me this. I think we were texting back and forth about a belt you had won, and you were bra- bragging about something. So I go to the golf course the next day in Tampa, and I said, okay, Brad Johnson has this thing with belts. We're going to do it with shirts. So instead of playing for like your five, 10, 15 bucks, whatever it is, we're going to play. It's called the shirt game. And you get to go before the round and pick out the shirt that the other guy is <laughs> going to buy you if you beat him. And then you play for a shirt and you wear the shirt that he bought you the next time you play. So then I took it to Cleveland. I took it to Seattle. I took it to San Francisco. So there's country clubs all over the country playing the shirt game, Austin. Uh, that in Austin, it grew into like just the merch games. Like you go in there, and get yep. a pair of shoes and be like, when I beat you today, you're buying me these foot joys. <laughs> so that, you know, that was all inspired by you. Agreed to pass on the legs. That and stings the, more than paying money. There's no doubt about that. So <laughs> way more. And then when the, when the dude rolls out and the stuff you bought him the next day, there's nothing worse than that. And then guys start getting like initials put on it or dates that he beats you. Yep. Oh, it's humiliating. Um, give me your best, you know, Bobby Bowden passed recently and he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. I know he had a huge influence on you. You always get connected right. to coach Rick because right. he's your brother-in-law, but talk to me a little bit about coach Bowden, the influence he had on you, what you saw in those incredible years of Florida state. Uh, you, you mentioned the quarterback room, but more specifically coach. Bowden. Yeah. Um, Coach Bowden was the head coach of Florida State for 34 years. You'll never get anything like that again. Before his time, obviously he had a 14-year run of winning four, um, of being in the top four every year from like 1987 through 2001 or something, whatever that was. And 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 so Coach Bowden, he's you talk about class, um, talk about handling unbelievable and. Um, People decision, the coaches that he brought in, stable. Talking about the players he brought in, didn't have people coming and going all the time. He, he made it work for everybody. Uh, you talk about respect. He's respected by all. Mm. And uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, he won mm-hmm. 357 games, but that's not what we talk about. And I remember when he won his 200th game, I was there at Florida State. And so he called a meeting, and my roommate was Gene Haup. And I said, Gene, he, we're supposed to meet at one thirty. Called a one o'clock meeting, and and so I said, Gene, something's up, man. I, he may retire today. I don't know. I don't. This this doesn't feel right to me. I don't know. And he called us in there, and he actually he gave his testimony, and that doesn't really happen mm. that often either, especially at that level. And it was pretty amazing. He goes on and wins all the games that he did in um, national championships. But and the cool thing about Coach Bowden was. When they named the, uh, the field after him, I think 2013, we had about three or 400 players lined up from the goalpost all the way out to midfield. 
10 rows back and whatever it was. And we weren't talking about the national championships. We weren't talking about uh, how tough it was or the mat drills we did. Um, we were talking about how it impacted our lives and how most of us have become coaches, people in the community, uh, dads, fathers, all the above, and how we try to pass it on too. And that's, that's his legacy to me. And uh, so it's pretty awesome to say that he was my coach. It is pretty amazing. I, I was asked this question, I think, last year sometime of all the guys I played with from different colleges who were the best players. And I said, you know what? I don't know who the best players were. You could argue Miami, Florida State, neck and neck. But I'll tell you who the best people are. The best people I ever played with yeah. were Florida State Seminoles. Um, it, it, what you just said is so true. Uh, whether it's Derek Brooks or Warwick Dunn or Casey or yourself or, you know, whatever Seminole you played with, there was something more to them than just football. Um, they could have been a Hall of Famer like Derek Brooks, but they're a Hall of Famer off the field as well. So it really speaks to Coach Bowden's legacy. I'm glad you touched on that. Well, we're going to go to our second break. When we get back, we're going to talk about Brad's pre-draft process and his time in the NFL, and then we'll end up talking about his incredible family and the impact he's having now. We'll be right back. Beyond the X's and O's is brought to you by State Farm. Just like State Farm offers surprisingly great rates for your car insurance, I want to share with you a surprisingly great moment from my career, and it came from Super Bowl 35, and it came actually when I was playing terribly. I started off the game brutal, couldn't hit anything, missed Brandon Stokely wide open on a crossing route, and Jabal Lewis in the flat. I didn't have enough energy. We're at a TV timeout, I'm sitting there in the huddle waiting for the play call to come in, and we substitute Sam Gash onto the field. And Sam Gash, my favorite teammates of all time, comes up to me, grabs me by the chest plate and says, we need your juice, we need your energy. You're not yourself today. I said, you know what, you're right. And immediately I had that spark, the hair in my arms stood up, and that was the series through the first touchdown to Brandon Stokely of Super Bowl 35. And that's why I love the journey of the quarterback. There's so many surprisingly great lessons to be learned from this unique position. And remember, whether you're a Super Bowl winning quarterback or an armchair QB relaxing happily at home, State Farm provides coverage that meets your needs at a price that fits your budget. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so you touched on it, your career at Florida State. How many games did you start? Did you start 12 games total, I think, I think I in your career seven. there? I threw 13 touchdowns and eight picks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know it wasn't many because the right. dudes you had in that room, and they all end up playing professional right. Right. something, right, football or basketball or baseball. But you, when you played, and I do remember this. I don't know if enough people talk about this because when you did play, you played very well. But Casey ended up being a Heisman Trophy semi. I mean, the runner-up to the Heisman Trophy. PT ended up playing for the Bears for four right. years and Tampa for one. I mean, you had guys in front of you that had great college careers. So as you go to the draft, what were you being told, and and what was that pre-draft process? Yeah, I think I was a little bit of a late bloomer, Trent, because I spent so much time playing basketball, and I was kind of growing into football. I was mm -hmm. going to be that late developed kind of guy, and so I remember the New York Giants. Uh, Jim Fossil, they said they were going to draft somebody about the third or fourth round and kind of develop me, develop someone. At that time, they had Phil Sims and jo Jeff Hosteller. And so I was like, that would be the perfect fit, you know. And uh, so I went to the combine. I thought I was the best quarterback there. And really, I was. They, they invite 17 guys, and then they invite three extra guys. It was me, T.J. Rubley, and uh, Bucky Richardson. We're the guys that throw to the DBs and the linebackers and those kind of things. And I left. I was like, I'm – I should be, I should be a first round pick, <laughs> but every GM, every coach didn't think that, you know, and there was a reason why I wasn't ready, but I remember in the draft process, 
Uh, fourth round, the New York Giants, they drafted Kent Graham. I'm like, there goes my spot. I'm done. <laughs> and so the seventh round, uh, there's a guy named Dave Campo. He worked for Atlanta Falcons. He said, Brad, if no one drafts you, there's 12 rounds at that time that we'd like to bring you as a free agent. I said, Campo, I'm done, man. I'm done. If I don't get drafted, I didn't know how the process worked. And uh, so I'll go back home to Black Mountain. I'll be a school teacher and coach, coach P and all that kind of stuff. And the ninth round came around. And my dad and I were, were sitting in my dorm room, and, and it came across the ticker. My dad went, he got excited. I'm like, what, what happened? What happened? And he said, Brad, I, I think you just got drafted. I said, what? We waited another minute for the ticker to come through. And I was ninth round, 227th pick to Minnesota Vikings. Denny Crean, he calls about five minutes later and uh, told me I was, I, was, uh, I was drafted. And the guy that drafted me was a guy named Jack Burns who actually recruited me from University of Louisville. And uh, he just kept up my whole career, knew my background, knew who I was, and those kind of things. So I went there. They had uh, Rich Cannon, Sean Salisbury, and Wade Wilson. And I was just thankful to be there. And it was pretty awesome to get drafted that way. And I remember in the first, <laughs> the first, one of the first games of the season, Rich Cannon got hurt. And uh, Sean Salisbury went. He got dinged up, and he had like a little slight concussion. And then – and then so the next day in the meetings, I didn't go in the game, but I remember uh, Jack Burns, he said, you know, I got one quarterback that's uh, hurt and can't play in Rich Gannon. I got another one dinged up, doesn't know where he's at. I got another one, Brad, that's hyperventilating on the sidelines, hoping he doesn't go in the game. So, so I learned <laughs> to be ready real quick on that kind of thing. But uh, that's how I got drafted to the Minnesota Vikings. And then I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I got to believe your time in the World League really poured gasoline on your development. Back then, yeah. this was 90, what? I was there in 95. 95, okay. Um, the World League was a big deal. I mean, yourself, John Kitna, Kurt Warner, a bunch of guys had great experiences in the World League. Talk to me about your experience there and how much it helped your development. Yeah. My first, my first two years of practice in Minnesota, I didn't get a rep in practice. My reps were thrown to a net on Tuesdays on the, on the, on the day off and, um, those kind of things. I got very little scout team reps, got training camp reps, but that was about it. And then, uh, so the world league came around and I had to go play in it. And it was a chance for me because I didn't play much in college. I was really good on Thursday or Friday, two minute drills, those kind of things, but I need to go play. I need to go make mistakes, go lead a team, um, and just go, just go play. And I did, I was a part of all of that. And, and then just dealing with adversity of living somewhere. The food wasn't good. The, the housing wasn't good. But how tough it made you. And that, that was the, most, the best decision I ever made to go play. And then when I came back for the NFL, it made me ready. And the greatness of my story going to the World League is I'd been in Minnesota for enough years where I knew the system when I came back. I didn't have to learn three or four different systems. And that was the, the greatness of that move also. Isn't it incredible how and we talk about this all the time in our place at Lipscomb here and, and I've heard the great coaches I've played for talk about it. Nothing good happens without, how, without having to do hard things. And you just talked about how hard the world league is. What'd you make? 10 grand, I'm guessing? 10, 10 to 15 grand would be my guess. Yep. 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 Somewhere so you didn't make a lot of money. You ate bad food. You slept in crappy places. You had to learn a new system. You're playing with offense. I remember back then the offensive lines weren't very good. The defensive lines right. dominated. Right. Uh, you had some skill position guys, but the offensive lines struggled. So it was all hard. It was, and you're just saying now you look back on the best things that ever happened to you. Isn't that true that so many of the hardest things we go through end up being the best things we go through? It is. There's no doubt. And, and, and so on that team, there are 38 players. Eight of them were foreigners. <laughs> and you're dealing with, you know, 
Now, our end zones were only seven yards deep. I didn't know that. To, yeah, uh, Kevin McDougal, he was, a, well, he, was a, he was a backup. He played Notre Dame. At the end of the year, we, our linemen was going to get – they were going to get bonuses for uh, least amount of sacks given. We got the ball on the one-yard line. He's at the end of the game. We're going to call him 989, and he drops back. He falls out of the back of the end zone, his head against the wall. And the line was ticked. They were ticked off because they're getting ready to lose their bonus money. <laughs> like, the end zone's only seven yards deep, guys. What are you supposed to do? You know? But I mean, it's, it's the stories that, yeah, it's the stories that make you, the stories you have to tell. And, you know, it, I mean, but I'm, you know, those guys I play with, Michael Tidley and uh, Larry, uh, Larry Allen. And I mean, th- th- there's it's just some great, great times we had with great ball games. But that career, it, did, it didn't, some guys, they didn't make it through that, through that World League either now. You know what I mean? It, it, didn't, it didn't. So the guys that made it through that league, they, they survived and went on to have NFL careers. But you had, to, you had to go through the fire. I call it the ring of fire. At some point, you got to go through it, and you don't know when that time is. And the time it is, it's like the great depression of your life. But if you can make it through it and you believe and someone gives you a chance, and it kind of happens. Well, we ended up playing against each other a bunch, 97, 98, 99. Um Help me with this one because 99, I leave Tampa. They don't re-sign me. I go to Baltimore. You stay in Minnesota. You play 2000 Minnesota, correct? Right, right. And you got, is that the year you got, you hurt your neck in what year, 99? I hurt it in 90, uh, actually end of 97. 97. Yeah, I I had a, uh, like a herniated disc. I ended up having surgery, lost all the, couldn't grip anything with my hand, lost all the hand strength. And then um, 98, I came back. And that was the year we uh, went 15-1 or whatever that was. I started the first two games of the season. And then I broke my ankle in game two. And I came back. And then I broke my thumb in game nine. And so that was pretty much it. I played three games that year in 98. And then uh, that's good because I can brag on this. We're the one team that beat you. Was that week 12 or 13 or something? You guys came to Tampa. You guys were 15-1. and We're the team that beat you. But what I'm leading to is that so I go play in Baltimore in 2000. And you're still in Minnesota. I'm at the ESPYs. My wife and I are at the, or we're at the airport. My wife and I are at the airport after we win the Super Bowl. This is, I don't know, a month later, getting ready to go to the ESPYs to represent the Ravens for Team of the Year. And I get a, call, a phone call from Matt Cavanaugh. And Matt Cavanaugh says, hey, I, I, I don't know how to say this to you, but you're mm-hmm. a free agent and uh, you're number three on our list. And I go, What? Excuse me, yeah. didn't we just win the Super Bowl? And he goes, and by the way, I turned on a contract extension during the season out of respect for the run we were on to not want to be negotiating during the season. I'm like, you know, I just turned down a contract extension in season, now number three. And, and they said, yeah, you know, Coach Billick coached Brad Johnson in Minnesota. And right. He's a free agent, and he's going to target Brad Johnson. If he doesn't get Brad Johnson, he's going to get Elvis Skirmick. I said, what the – yeah, and I was yeah. cool with the yeah. Brad Johnson yeah. part because I had a great amount of respect for you. And by this time, we were friends. We'd been together in the offseason. The Elvis thing still to this day makes my uh, blood boil. But I tell that story because neither of us go to Baltimore. Elvis does. I go off to Seattle, and you go to Tampa, where I had yeah. left a year earlier. Uh, and that was you got to play with all those guys that I came in with. And just tell me a little bit about that experience, taking that team, the Super Bowl, and those incredible players you played with because yeah. we have a relationship with most of them. Yeah. it was. Those are crazy times that take place, you know, for all of us. And yeah, it's musical chairs for all quarterbacks. And for me to go to Tampa, to be honest with you, Trent, I want to be the 
there have been three quarterbacks that had played for Tampa that went on to win Super Bowls. You at yep. Baltimore, uh, Doug Williams at Washington, and Steve Young in San Fran. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, where could I be successful? And I felt like in the end, it was going to be for me in Tampa. I felt like it was the right fit for me. And I felt like I could be the first quarterback to want it in Tampa. And that year, um, I think we went nine and seven my first year in Tampa, but I felt like we overachieved <laughs> to be nine and seven looking back at it. And then, uh, then John Gruden came in. We made a bunch of moves in free agency and brought in uh, Joe Jervicious and Keenan McCardell and Ricky Dudley and Ken Dilger and a bunch of guys. And uh, we upgraded in town. Then they made that Super Bowl, you know, made the Super Bowl run my second year in Tampa. And that, it's interesting there because I experienced when you got there, I know what you're saying about overachieving. It was a very defensive-centric, special team-centric team. You're coming from a Minnesota organization that was very offensive-centric. Uh, Gruden really was the one that kind of flipped the switch there and, and got that team going in the right direction offensively. And you still had the benefit from that great defense that Coach Dungy and Monty and Herm and uh, all those guys built over the years. It was kind of the perfect blend of an offensive mind, the energy, the juice of Gruden, you playing quarterback, right. the talent you brought in with that foundation they had on defense. Right. And, and and so I think very much like you and I, we both play with two great defenses. You know what I mean? The money's probably yep. on, more on that side, you know? But I think what people understand, both you and I or whenever, whoever has done it, uh, the Drew Brees, the Peyton Mannings, the – it's, it's the worst word you call a quarterback, but it's, to me, it's the best word. It's a game manager of how do you handle your teammates? How do you handle the huddle? How do you handle the game? How do you deal the ups and downs? How do you deal with, you know, winning with, you know, some people can win with, you know, driving a, a Lamborghini. Some can, some can win. Those guys can't all win drive, you know, driving a Pinto Chevrolet either, you know? So the better players you have, the better you're going to be succeed. But I think both you and I, uh, in different ways where for those particular teams, I think we were both the perfect quarterbacks to have done that for those particular teams, to be honest with you. Well, it's the ultimate team sport. I, I remember I was sitting with Steve Young one night on Monday night telecast and he, we were off camera during a long break. And he says, you know, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but you know, you get this label of the game manager. He goes, I just want you to know as a hall of famer that 90% of the game is managing it. You know, he said, those of yeah. us in the Hall of Fame, we feel the same way. Like the most important part of playing the position is making those around you better. And that happens on a Monday after a game in the film room. That happens on a Wednesday night after practice. That help, you know, that happens all during the week and also happens in game. So just to kind of parlay on what you're saying, I don't think either one of us have never got defensive about that label. Right. I, I That's right. why I respect you so much. But it is something young quarterbacks need to understand is. The flash and sizzle, man, I wish my body was in better shape in 2000. I wish I could have done some of the stuff I could do in 94, 95, 96, 97. I couldn't. So I had to use my brain. You know, uh, you're the same way. And you have to use your relationships. You have to use your leadership skills. And for these highly talented guys coming out, they're going to be on the sidewalk unless they learn how to manage their teams and manage the game as well. So I've always admired how, how you did that. As well. Okay, let's finish up with the Super Bowl story. We, Goff and I talked about this about the balls. Um, I know we had a conversation <laughs> before that Super right. Bowl, and they right. got better. I was telling Jared, man, you don't understand how bad it was in 2000. I was literally throwing balls with the wax still on them. Yeah. But give me a little bit. Give me your perspective for the the footballs that you had to throw in the Super Bowl. Right. Well, it get me in trouble here, but. I'd, had, I'd heard you talk about the wax on the balls. I'd heard Phil Sims talk about the wax on the ball. 
I'd heard Troy Eggman talk about it. Steve Young, every stinking quarterback playing that Super Bowl. So just so everybody knows real quick, it used to be if you were playing, I, I, if, I, if I was the home team, there was 12 footballs, and you had to play with the 12 footballs we had. Then it became you had your 12, I had my 12, and then the kickers messed things up. So it's your 12, my 12, and then there's 12 other separate kicking balls. Long story. Well, once you get to the NFL Super Bowl, there's 108 balls, brand spanking new. After every play, each ball goes to a sponsor. They bring it right out of a Dick Sporting Good plastic bag, and whatever sporting goods you want, and it's slick. So when I watch baseball guys, they throw the ball back, and they don't like it. When I see a tennis guy, um, they, they don't like the ball. They throw it away, a puck in ice hockey. Well, Rich Gannon and I, we did a milk mustache commercial on that, sad, on that Monday of the Super Bowl. We both like, man, we're scared to death about, you know, these balls being slick, and can't, I wish we could work them in like we should. You know, so I'd play with a glove the week before. So that week, uh, so some guys, they, they got the Super Bowl balls, okay? So every year I tip the equipment managers and all these guys for whatever we get, the shirts, the ball, working and everything. So I tip some guys some money. They worked in all 108 footballs, okay? <laughs> so it happened. So, but in the game, in the game, I warmed up with the glove because I'm like, I don't know if these balls have been worked in or not. So it took me a whole quarter to get the rosin off my hand and all that kind of stuff from wearing the glove. The balls were the balls were good, you know. So there were no problems for Rich or I. None of us complained about it. So then 10 years later, I, I talked about how I paid the guys to get the balls worked in. Well, then when I hold the flake gate and all that kind of stuff went down, who they this article, this one little print comes out in the article. Well, I, next thing I know, I got ESPN, CNN, I got Japan, China, Canada, Australia calling my house. Okay? All of them. <laughs> my phone rang up. And you talk about getting tainted. My whole life got tainted. I'm like cheating. <laughs> like, how did I cheat? So my first phone call was Rich Gannon. I'm like, Rich. Because I wasn't going, Rich, I'm going to pay these guys some money to work in the balls. Will you split it with me? Like, is that what we're doing? So, no. The balls got, the balls got worked in. We, I didn't complain. Rich didn't complain. I get slandered for the rest of my life for cheating. And I did. I, I felt, Trent, I felt like I should get reimbursed by the NFL for doing their job. <laughs> somebody, somebody pay me back. I'll give my social security number, you know? So it was unbelievable. But now they all work in the balls. They're perfect. Both people, they get to touch them. And I mean, it's crazy, crazy. So that's it's what, unbelievable. That's what I have literally no bitterness for my career except that, yeah. that I had to throw these crappy <laughs> balls. hundred. I was telling Goff, the first throw of the game, we have a swing round, and I can vividly remember going, getting it, and my fingers are on the giant NFL Super Bowl logo. That's yep. yeah. like, it's slick, it's silicone, basically. And the ball slips out of my hand. I couldn't throw anything hard. I don't think I threw a ball hard the whole game because you just didn't feel confident yeah. gripping it. And now they're now these things are like earthy Perfect. brown by the time the guys play with them. There's no orange on it. All the wax, they've peed on them. They've rubbed the mud on them. They've thrown them in the dryer. <laughs> they've done all the tricks to make them perfect. Yeah. I'm like, it's just 21 years ago. Why couldn't they have figured yeah. this out earlier? Yeah. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, all right. Let's finish up with this, your family. Um, every quarterback has a long journey. Uh, you, you look back and it's whether it's your parents, your siblings, your wife, Nikki, for you, your kids, 
like their investment in your journey. Just use our last few minutes together, just bragging on on your family and how much they've meant to you during this journey. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, uh, my career, my life would not be complete without my wife, Nikki. And so she's been with me through every up and every down, long nights, can't sleep, moving zip codes from team to team. Uh, it's tough, tough. And I, every quarterback that I ever worked with, I said, that you will to go through this because it's not, it's not just fun. It's a grind. And when your wife has to go through it with you, it's, 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 she's got to be with you all the way through. So, and then our two boys, Max and Jake, uh, they've been through every, I've been able, fortunate enough to coach all their teams and all their birthday parties and you name it, we've all done it. And we're a family. We stay together. We're tight. And, um, but you know, I'm thankful for every story that I have, every up, every down, uh, cause I can relate that to my kids cause they're going through all of it too daily. And, um, yep. so, um, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for, to share experiences, but, um, you know, we try to tell our kids also that I heard a great story one time, who are you when no one knows your name? And so sports are going to end one day, or you're not going to be in a scene where you get to say, I'm the starting guy or whatever, how are you going to act and how are you going to handle yourself and, and, uh, those kind of things. But, uh, very, very blessed and thankful for my family. Awesome. Brad, thanks for spending time with us. I just want you to know of all my time in the yeah. NFL, you're one of my favorite people I ever got to know. I appreciate your friendship. Yeah. And thanks I appreciate Trent. On. Thank you, man. It's been great. Thank you. Big thanks to our friends at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go to statefarm.com today to get a quote.